three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. It's Monday, November 13, 2023, a fresh new podcast today. Hey there, it's Crash Connell, November 13th. That's uh, six shopping days until my birthday. Just thought I would put that out there. (laughs) (laughs) Got a uh, favorite guest back in the studio is Pastor Kevin Minsky from Christ Rock Church, uh, Community Church in De Pere, Wisconsin. He's been on the podcast several times. And you can uh, uh, now and again see some of his uh, teachings on harbingersdaily.com as well as christtherockchurch.org, christtherockchurch.org. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Always Crash. a pleasure to see him. You as well. And if we could uh, get this broadcast underway with prayer. I would be honored to. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of this new day. And Father, we don't always know what is in store for us, but you know the end from the beginning, so we entrust ourselves to your care now. Father, we want to lift up and magnify the name of your Son, Jesus, through our lives and with our lives. So be glorified and be honored by our choices today, and help us to make better ones, that we might reflect our love for you. Father, we thank you again for all the blessings that are to come this day, and even with the challenges, we entrust them to your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Today's podcast, we're going to be getting that pastor perspective. And with all of the chaos in the world, uh, it's nothing really new, Pastor Kevin. It's really nothing new. Now, Jesus himself said that in this world, you will have trouble. He didn't say you might. He says you will have trouble, but take heart. I, Jesus, have overcome the world. So it's no surprise because we do live in a sin-cursed world. And even though Jesus has already died on the cross and shed his blood to redeem it, we are still under that sin curse. And we will be till the end of Revelation. We have the new heavens and the new earth to look forward to. But if anyone is listening this morning, God bless you, first of all. But second of all, obviously, you have life in your body. God's given you this day. So you have an opportunity to represent your king. You being a good ambassador wherever God has you planted this morning, and trust yourself to him. He is faithful. And he'll see you through no matter what. He is still sitting on that throne in heaven. He is still ruling and reigning. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances or the circumstances of the world would seem to dictate. God is the one that's in control. Not the enemy, not the evil one, not your earthly enemies. You got the word open. You want to share something. Oh, well been thinking a lot, as always, about the gospel, because as a pastor, as a shepherd, I, I continually pray, and I ask God to give me an ever-increasing burden for lost souls. And It's been a unique uh, time to live in, and I think even specifically over the last three, four years, and I've seen changes in attitudes even in people within the church. Uh, people will become offended, they'll leave, they'll be upset about things that really have no eternal value, and I was thinking about what Jesus said to the disciples in John chapter 6. Many of of those that had walked with Jesus 
departed from him. They turned away from Jesus, and they went their own way. And Jesus challenged the disciples. He said, will you also go away from me? And they said, well, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So my challenge to the listeners this morning as a pastor, as a shepherd, would be this. Guard your hearts, check your perspectives very carefully, and discern in your heart why you belong to a particular faith group or fellowship. And if you're hearing the truth of the Word of God, and it is always about the Bible, that is our foundation for all of life. It's not opinions. It's not personalities. It's not even friendships. And unfortunately, I see a lot of people make decisions based on their personal relationships these days. I understand it. It's human nature. But be very careful in the spiritual realm. Um, Because like Jesus said, to whom shall we go? Or the disciples said, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So if you have a church that's teaching the word in its truth, you should cling to it, support it in these days, because there is uh, there's very little truth that seems to still be going out. That's uh, true of all human history as well, though, because I think about Hosea. In the book of Hosea in the Old Testament, it says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. So here God was still trying to speak truth to his people Israel in the Old Testament through his prophets and through his priests. But the people rejected knowledge. So God says in verse 6 of chapter 4 of Hosea, I will also reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. So again, the consistent theme throughout the whole of the Bible is God's word. He's revealed himself through his word. He's revealed his truth through his word. Then it's upon us to receive that word, to live it out, and to propagate it. You were talking yesterday in the message, and it was another mind blower, about the gospel in the genealogy. I don't know if you want to go there, but that was just mm. awesome. How God, a God of order, a perfect God, how he just speaks perfectly in his word Mm -hmm. and just the genealogies i don't know (laughs) yeah i don't know you know i try to be mindful when i come on your program that not everything translates well on the radio as it does in person when you can show things however um one of the main points was when you look through the book of genesis and on sundays we happen to be going through genesis chapters 1 through 11 the foundation of everything chapter 1 is a witness of god's gospel through the very creation itself. And we know that because Paul picks up that theme in Romans chapter 1. He says the very creation itself bears witness to the fact that there is a creator God. God has given every human being a, a certain ability, and that ability is to recognize design. Recognize design. When you pick up your cell phone, you know inherently some engineer had to have designed that. Okay, obviously. It's the same with our physical creation. So anyway, Genesis chapter 1 The gospel is, you could say, the gospel in the stars, so to speak. God has created all order, matter, space, and time. Chapter 2, then, God slays animals and makes coats of skins for Adam and Eve. They try to cover their own sin with fig leaves, the first act of religion. That wasn't sufficient. There had to be a shedding of blood. So God creates the shedding of blood, making animal skins for them. Chapter 3, then, we have the overt gospel message in Genesis 3.15. Chapter 4, we looked at Cain and Abel, how one brought an, a, a received sacrifice that was Abel. He brought the lamb. And then we had Cain's sacrifice, which was the fruit of the ground, his own works again. 
yesterday was chapter 5, and people overlook that chapter and don't like to read it when they do through the read through a Bible in a year program because they find it boring. It's a genealogy. But we have to remember that names have meaning. Okay, Every one of our names that we have, you may know it or not, but it has a particular meaning in its origin. It's called etymology. When you read through the Genesis chapter 5 genealogical account, um, it says basically that man has been appointed mortal sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down, promising that uh, he will give life to those who receive him, basically. If you go through all those names, which I'm not going to do that on the air right now, it's a gospel message that's hidden in an Old Testament genealogy, so it's very profound. It tells us a couple of things. It tells us that the Bible is really a book of redemption. It's always about the gospel message, but it also tells us that there is a designer in the very Bible itself. Mankind could not have created this book, could not have written the Bible. Forty authors over thousands of years, yet it's one design, it's one message system, and it's from outside of time, and that's because God's outside of time. How does he validate the fact that this is the holy book? There's a lot of people that say the Book of Mormon, uh, mm-hmm. the Koran, whatever, the Zendavesta. There's a lot of holy books. No, there's one, and it's the Bible. How do we know? Because God validated it by writing history before history happened. What do I mean by that? We call it prophecy. If you can tell someone what's going to happen before it happens, it tells you that that person's outside of time, the time domain. Only God could do that. Therefore, he validates his word through prophecy. The Quran does not do that. The Book of Mormon does Nobody else does that. And I'm not picking on them. I'm just trying to speak truth because many people have rejected God's truth, now like Hosea says, and they're going to suffer for it. We're visiting Pastor Kevin Minsky at a new podcast today, Fresh Podcast, November 13 on the calendar, 2023. And he's uh, teaching pastor, lead pastor, Christ the Rock Church in De Pere, Wisconsin. And uh, I, I enjoy watching uh, other evangelists online when they're out there uh, doing open-air preaching and just watching these conversations. Wednesdays, we do Todd Friel's Wretched Radio, which is Witness Wednesday, uh, just brushing up on those skills and seeing what uh, conversations are going on around the world. And it's fascinating to me because you're talking about the Word and how we can always use the Word. And so you see some open-air preachers answering the question that they have from the Word of God, and they're going, but Google says. Mm-hmm. And they got their devices here, and they're going like, so you're arguing Google versus God's Word. Right. And so... The point I hope that people are understanding is we do have proof that well, we there, can depend on. We have proof that we can depend on and live by it. Yeah, there and there is. Uh, we we not only have truth; there is only one truth. Truth is in Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the exact representation of the eternal God. Colossians three fifteen would say. Uh, Hebrews chapter one would say. So God did take on human flesh in Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, and also, obviously, the the perfect Savior, the only Savior for our sin, because his is the only righteous blood. We can't atone for ourselves. That is one of the real, uh, I think, troublesome things in, in the world today in terms of Christianity, and it's the propagation of the gospel, but you very seldom hear a true gospel anymore. People have been kind of brainwashed into this politically correct thinking that everyone can have their own truth and you shouldn't be offensive to anyone. But what I like to remind our 
you know, our members at the church is this. Jesus Christ in the Bible itself says, Jesus Christ is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And it isn't that we're trying to offend people. What God is telling us is that don't be surprised when people are offended by my gospel. Well, why would they be offended by what's supposedly called good news? Because the good news has to begin with the fact that we're not good. We're, in fact, sinners. We're born in sin. We're separated from a holy, righteous, eternal God, and we have no way to get to him on our own merits, on our own works. So what do we do about that? Well, we believe what God says. The Bible, you know, also tells us that this is the work of God that you believe in the one whom he has sent. What does it mean to believe? It doesn't believe, uh, mean that you believe that there was a historical person named Jesus and he walked the dusty roads of Nazareth. And yes, we do believe he was literal and that he did those things. But to believe means to receive all that he did and said. So what did he say? Among other things, he said that he is the only way to the Father. There are not multiple ways to God. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. Is that exclusive? You better believe it. It's as exclusive as things get. Because ultimately, if Jesus isn't the only way, then he died for nothing. There would have been many other ways to get to the Father. So we're born in sin, separated from God. We're not, quote-unquote, good people. Yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. That's fine, but so-and-so is not your point of comparison. Are you as good as Jesus Christ? As you Are you as holy as God himself? And if you're not, then you've got an issue. And by the way, we all have an issue. We can't measure up to the standard. So we need to receive the measure and the standard of Jesus Christ. His blood covers us from all sins, cleanses us from all sins. And God validated that. By God, I mean the Father validated that by raising Jesus from the dead, the resurrection. It's God's proof that that he received that sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. So, sinners, born separated from God, can't get to him on our own. Jesus Christ can, however, because he paid the price for our sin. If you entrust yourself to him, you will have eternal life. John said that in his gospel. We write these, I write these things that you might know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his Son. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. Very exclusive, very profound, and yet it is the only way. It is the truth. So when we're sharing our faith with religious people, how do we do that with the uh, with the love of Christ, knowing that John fourteen six, John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth. No one can come to the Father except through me. So how do we do that? Jesus, among everything else, was a master at meeting people where they were at in their life. When you read the gospel accounts, it's always intriguing to me to look at all the different character studies, how Jesus interacted with the different people with whom he came into contact. It was always different depending on who that person was. Um, I, I like to take the same approach in life, and what I like to use is called the Socratic method after Socrates. I like to ask questions. You know, it says in Psalms that the, the heart of man is a well of deep water, but a man of understanding can draw it out. How do we draw it out? Well, we draw it out by questioning, right? We get uh, a real sense of where people are at when they express their heart to us through the, you know, through language. So I ask people different questions and 
get a baseline, where are they at in their life, and go from there. So it, it's really an individualistic thing, and it's very unique. So Jesus, the way he approached Zacchaeus in, a, in the tree was totally different than the, the woman at the well, um, totally different than Nicodemus, totally different than, you know, whatever. So you can go all again all the way throughout the Bible, and it's got to be unique to each individual. Yet the one heart of the, the truth is the gospel, and that never changes. So Jesus is not someone who just came to make your life better and, and fix your marriage and heal your bank account and all these things. God may do that, but he may not. So the inherent danger with the false gospel is if you promise people that you come to Jesus and he'll heal your marriage, and if it doesn't get healed, well, therefore, you've just destroyed faith because that person can say, well, this Jesus thing is bogus. No, Jesus is not bogus. He, he's the savior of your sin, and this is about eternity. So you've got to be very careful how we present that message. As we uh, try to uh, navigate the world today, uh, you call it recency bias. You've and been listening. <laughs> you've been listening. <laughs> and it's uh, you, you want to – the amazing thing to me about the word is when uh, I'm in it, it seems like it's just like God written, wrote some of the things – just for me. And I know that's not the way it is. Reality is that the word has been around for thousands of years, but just sometimes it, I needed to hear that today. Uh, before the broadcast, we're discussing the show, and I said, uh, God put me in John 17, 1 through, uh, 1 through 25, I believe it is. And uh, I call that the Lord's Prayer, not the uh, model prayer Amen. in Matthew. But uh, uh, and I read I read that and it just took me in a different place than where my head was. My head was kind of thinking about the week, but here he's talking about the the oneness between him and the Father, and how important he that was when he was praying for the uh, for the believers. He prayed three different prayers, if I guess all in one, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, and so the one for the believers is may they be one like you and I are one, and that's the, that, that's where my heart is this morning. Exactly. Yeah. Well, because you you opened up with that how we're leaving and dividing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and when you talk, you think about famous last words, right? Well, just before Jesus went to the cross, he did express that what I call his high priestly prayer in John seventeen that you just referenced and. Jesus knew how the enemy was going to come against the church, and it's through division. A house divided against itself cannot stand. That's why Jesus did, in fact, pray what you just expressed. Father, make them one as you and I are one, I and you and you and me, uh, that we might be in them, and then we can bear much fruit. Um, division is really a, it's just a cause of just personal agenda. you know. So am I willing to humble myself and truly become a servant to all? But the interesting point that you began with there is how the scriptures themselves, the Bible, can be so unique to individuals. You know, it is one message system from outside of time. But like Hebrews 4.12 would say, it's it's alive. The, the word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Think about that. That covers body, soul, and spirit in our humanness, right? Soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. That's the physical body. And then he goes on to say, 
and is a discerner. It understands the thoughts and the intentions of the heart of man. The scripture is so unique, and the reason it is, because it's not dead words on a printed page. It's energized by God's Holy Spirit himself. It says that in uh, John's Gospel again. We seem to be thematically on John's Gospel here, but that's good. Jesus talked about the coming of the Comforter. He said, it's needful that I return back to the Father, because until I do, I can't send the Comforter. He will be with you and will be in you. He will lead you into all truth. So I continually tell the folks on Sunday, it's the Holy Spirit who is your resident truth teacher. It's not a pastor. It's not another individual. And yes, we do have teachers in the church, but it has to be energized by his Holy Spirit. When it is, yes, the same verse can affect me totally differently than it can affect you, Crash, on a particular morning when we read it. Same verse, but we're in different places in our journey. God is speaking individually and specifically to our hearts as his own. That is why the relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is so unique and so powerful. I've been, over the last couple of years, trying to get better understanding of eschatology because that's usually where questions go when I'm sharing my faith. That's a big word. (laughs) Sorry. I'm confident that our listeners know what it is. (laughs) Yes, yes, but I do know there's denominations that avoid it completely. Uh, eschatology for various reasons. Eschatology, uh, last things, study of the end times, last things. Yes, um, one reason I happen to know in particular pastors would tend to avoid it is because they think it's divisive. You know, people have varying opinions on interpretive methods when it comes to eschatology. Um, we're literal in our approach to the Bible. Uh, we're not allegorical. It doesn't. We don't spiritualize the text when the literal sense makes the best sense. We accept no other sense, so to speak. Um, so we interpret it literally. I also understand that the historical methodology of biblical interpretation. So the way the you know, Scripture has been handed down over the centuries by various faith groups is important to understand why mainline denominations believe and teach what they do. Um, for example, when you think about how um, how doctrine was formulated over the centuries, the disciples themselves, Paul in Thessalonians, they all believed in an imminent return of Christ for his church. They believed that the rapture was right at their doorstep in their lifetime. So it was imminent. The early church fathers, the early church fathers are those who were directly discipled by the disciples and then trained up those uh, after them. They all believed in a literal return of Jesus Christ to rule and reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem on his throne, the throne of David, part of the Davidic covenant, which has never been fulfilled. The church has not replaced Israel. Israel will be reinstituted as God's witnesses to the world. That's Revelation chapter 7 and chapter 14. The church really has no place in that tribulation time on the earth. The the, uh, church is always pictured after chapter 4 of Revelation as being in heaven. Israel is, in a measure of God's grace, reinstituted as his witnesses to the world. They were called to do that in the Old Testament to be a light to the Gentiles. They failed in that mission, taking on the foreign gods around them, got corrupt. I read that from Hosea already this morning, um, among many other scriptures. So when it comes to eschatology, there are varying 
beliefs, varying interpretations. That can divide congregations. That's why pastors will avoid it. The other reason is it takes a lot of work, frankly, because Revelation, for example, has 404 verses, okay? When you take those 404 verses, there are at least 800 different direct uh, cross-references or illusions based on that in the Old Testament. So you have to really know your Old Testament. You have to put the entire Bible together as one message. But when you do that, it comes alive and it becomes very clear. Remember this. God gave us the book of Revelation, which implies he expects us, wants us to know it. He's not trying to trick us. He's not trying to fool us. And if it's in the inspired canon of Scripture, we're responsible to know it. In fact, it's the only book in the Bible that has a special blessing attached to it. Chapter 1, blessed are those who read, those who hear, and those who heed the words of this prophecy. So we are expected to know it. Just like the book of Daniel in the Old Testament was given to the Hebrews, that book was sealed, however, because the time was not yet at hand, it tells us in Daniel chapter 12. The end of Revelation, it tells, it, tells us John was told, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, for the time is at hand. So we're going to be held accountable for that, especially shepherds out there. We need to be teaching it. We need to understand it. Uh, And it is knowable, and it should bless us because it's part of our blessed hope of the return of our our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Kevin Minsky from Christ Rock Church is our guest this morning, and the reason I brought that up is I've been the last couple of years in, in my eschatology studies, and I can't tell you the last time I read the Gospel of John. I can't remember the last time I read it. Probably when I first gave my life, rededicated my life to Christ. Probably that's the last time I read John. And now when I read John, after going through eschatology, wow. Mm-hmm. It is completely different from the very, in the beginning was the Word. Yes. And the Word became flesh and well, dwelled among us. In the beginning, yeah, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with God in the beginning, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes. So from the, just reading it now, reading the Gospel of John, which I guess he wrote, did he write that after Revelation, or do, do we know? Well, we, we don't know specifically church fathers. I heard it was after the epistles. Many of them will say that. I happen to personally believe that he he wrote the Gospel of John after recording Jesus' revelation. Okay. And I have particular reasons for that. Um, when you look at the structure alone, um, you look at the Gospels. You have four Gospels. It's like four windows looking into one room. It gives you different perspective into that room, depending which window, which Gospel you read from. However, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics. They all basically follow the same structure in the same order. John is unique in the group. He's kind of the mystic of the group. Uh, one of the structural things you get from the Greek, the original language, is it follows a similar structure to that of Revelation. Revelation is heavy on numbers, and particularly the number seven. It's called the heptatic structure of Revelation. When you read John, John's gospel does the same thing. He verifies Jesus is God, and it's, it's bizarre. He only uses seven sign miracles throughout that whole gospel. You'll see all kind of other miracles, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Mm-hmm. John only uses seven, and they're specifically referred to as signs. They pointed to different aspects of Jesus' deity, the fact that he truly was the Mashiach Nagid, the king who was to come, the Messiah, the Lamb of God. But uh, as I mentioned, it was what John, the book, uh, the Gospel of John did for me 
13 years ago is different than what John is doing for me right now. Absolutely. And uh, you also mentioned in uh, the service yesterday, in the message yesterday, about uh, the beloved. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. The intimacy of God. God God is intimate with those who diligently seek him. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, okay. I just want to make sure because there were like three examples of the beloved and and what they accomplished. Or two. Okay. Yeah, specifically, again, I already referenced Daniel. Daniel was given his prophecy in the Old Testament. It's actually referred to as the Old Testament revelation. Mm-hmm. John, and, so, and I should specify, Daniel was called specifically the beloved prophet. In the New Testament, John was called the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And John was given the actual book of Revelation. So it's interesting, the two apocalyptic books were given to those that are specifically identified as beloved. Correct. Why? Because God is he's intimate with those who seek him. Interesting conversation going on this morning uh, with Pastor Kevin Minsky from Christ the Rock Church. The website, ChristTheRockChurch.org in De Pere, Wisconsin. And we will continue here in a little bit. We have a video version being recorded right now and probably going to end up on rumble because of the topics that are coming up here let's talk about artificial intelligence how it's wrapping up and of course we have to talk about what's going on in the middle east and how that's all coming together stand up for the truth going to be back in two minutes stand up for the truth.com and also on your favorite podcast apps Feedback, questions, and topic suggestions are always appreciated. Email us at comments at standupforthetruth.com. Yeah, let me repeat that again. Comments at standupforthetruth.com if you have any feedback, questions, or concerns, and we will pass them along as necessary. I'm Crash Connell, and we're visiting with Pastor Kevin Minsky here in De Pere, Wisconsin at Christ the Rock Church, lead pastor, teaching pastor. And I want to make sure that we covered everything before we move on. Or we could probably just talk forever about the Book of John, just just a fascinating uh, gospel. And you, you now help me out here, Pastor. You said the Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke is this what kind of gospels? They're referred to as synoptics, which means they are synonymous. They follow okay. the same structure, the same flow, the same kind of historical narrative. There, John is unique, uh, really it, totally different in his structure. So. Matthew was always, I think Matthew is probably my favorite, I guess, if I have to say, if you had to pick a favorite gospel. I just I just like the genealogy and how he, he puts it. I know his audience is, he's, he's Jewish and he's, he's talking to a Jewish audience, I would, I would yes. assume. Traces his, uh, the genealogy of Jesus Christ through David to, to really verify the fact that he is truly the king of Israel. Luke traces, you know, Luke was right. written more for the Greeks, and they were always looking for the perfect man. That's why they followed Socrates and Aristotle and Plato. He was always about philosophy and the perfect man. Well, Luke traces Jesus' genealogy back to Adam, mm-hmm. the first man. Mark doesn't have a genealogy because Mark is presented to the Romans, and, and they present Jesus as the suffering servant. Nobody really cares about the background of a servant, so no, no genealogy. John, however, is unique. Many commentaries you'll read say, well, John doesn't have a genealogy either. Wrong. He traces Jesus from eternity past. In the beginning, beginning. 
God, <clears throat> right? So he, he was with God and he was God. Same was with God in the beginning. So it traces Jesus back to eternity, the fact that he truly is God. I was also amazed that he was the only apostle that died of old age. Right. Yeah, the other apostles all died a violent uh, martyr's death. Various places around the world. Philip believed to be to die as far as India. Thought that he went all the way to China. Um, so there's a lot of interesting scenarios there. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs, um, some other good resources, and mm-hmm. it tells you about the, the history of of the apostles themselves, which again bears witness to the fact that these are the men that directly walked with Jesus for at least three years, right? Who is willingly going to go to their death, and not just death, a violent martyr's death for a lie? Including his brothers and sisters. His brothers and sisters, who at first did not right, believe in right. him. So, right, that's another good indication. They mocked him. And he was in, yeah. Yeah. So that bears witness to the fact that there was a transformation there. They, something happened, and I would suggest that all changed on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit literally came into them, the church was born, and then they went out and really did. Um, they conquered the world with the gospel, not politically, but with the gospel, which is uh, much more important, obviously. <laughs> uh, another area that uh, you're well-versed in is artificial intelligence, and you've been talking about it for years here on Stand Up for the Truth and I wanted to kind of go over what's going on right now. If you've been still keeping up with it, it's really ramping up. I'm seeing it in uh, in the workplace and in families now. When like when we when you were talking about a couple of years ago, it sounded wild because you back then we were talking about uh, the mark of the beast mm-hmm. yeah. and what art of how artificial intelligence is going to play into that. Yeah, one I think one of the biggest transformations in the last year is how AI, artificial intelligence, has become mainstream. So you can go on uh, a number of different platforms now online, and any one of us can access uh, ChatGPT or or OpenAI or any of these platforms now that are available. And, in fact, these these companies that are – that are developing this technology are encouraging mainstream people to go on. It's interesting. I read an article very recently uh, interviewed the interview. He was talking to Jeffrey Hinton. Jeffrey Hinton is a, a, he's a brilliant scientist among other things, and he's considered the father of AI. And he really did most of his work in the 1960s and seventies. And it was based on neural paths and structures within the brain. And he created this, this thing called a, a, a Holtzman cube or a, Holtz, a Boltzmann machine, and the Boltzmann machine is basically a problem-solving network where it simulates a human brain and it tries to formulate neurons and paths that can can take different bits of information and it can put those information bits together and it can solve problems. It can extrapolate. Well, that's really where artificial intelligence began. So then, when you marry that with quantum computing, not supercomputing quantum computing, which is very different. So, okay, and I don't want to get too off in the weeds with this because I'm sure most of the listeners, it's like, okay, I, I don't know what, what most of this stuff is and I really don't want to know. If you think about a classical computer that is sitting on your desk right now at home or in your office, classical computer will take bits of information. It'll take, for example, eight bits of information can create any number between 0 and 255. When you put those combinations together, you create letters, words, and things, 
graphical user interfaces like you use on Windows, for example. A quantum computer is exponentially more powerful. If you just hit, it, it doesn't work in bits like a classical computer. It works in what's called qubits or quantum bits of information. They're exponentially larger. If you just take 300 qubits of information, that'll construct more bits of data than there are atoms in the universe. So we're talking about now the ability to computate information on an astronomical level. It's beyond our imagination even as human beings. It literally is as close to a human brain as you can get. That's the quantum computing. So when you take quantum computing and then marry it with artificial intelligence programs, the ability to problem solve, the ability to take information and use it in a certain way, that's why things have changed so dramatically now. It, ha it took the advent of quantum computing with AI at the same time to really create what we're seeing now. Well, anyway, with all that as a background, Jeffrey Hinton, the one who really developed all this theoretically in the 70s and 80s, he's now issuing very stern warnings to the uh, scientific community, saying that he thinks artificial intelligence, um, and it's not just about AI anymore, what we'd call classical AI, it, it's now about generative AI. The term is, if you look it up, generative, which means it no longer works around boundaries. Classical artificial intelligence would simply produce what the inputter told it to produce. Generative AI is like basically all the, uh, all the restraints are off. Okay. It can take any information it wants and then it can create its own, um, create, create its own outcomes from all those things. Well, what does that mean? Does it create an outcome where it can fire off a nuclear missile from a base in Kansas? Or can it crash a stock market in Indonesia? Or can, well, theoretically, that's what Jeffrey Hinton is warning about. He says it's now like Pandora's box. That genie is out of the bottle and it, and you can't shut it down. It's not like pulling a plug from your CPU at home. Because what it's done is generative AI now has embedded these qubits of information all throughout the World Wide Web. It's all throughout the, the, uh, the Ethernet now. It's out there. And it can't be controlled, potentially. He's not the only one that's issued this warning. Sam Altman is, is the CEO of, what is he, uh, OpenAI. Um, so OpenAI, he said the same thing recently in an interview. He's concerned that they don't have certain parameters that are built up. So we're back to this age-old argument. It's like, just because you can do something, does that mean you should do it? I can genetically alter crops, seeds, for example. Just because I can do that, should I do it? Because we don't know what we don't know. I can genetically alter that seed today, and it may, it may grow without water. It may grow not producing other weeds. But what is it going to do 10 years from now? What about the third generation of that crop? What's it going to do? We don't know. So eventually, are we going to wipe out the food system because of that? It's the same argument with, with AI. So now we've got, you know, Crash, we've got an interesting situation in this culture and this generation alone. You and I are of a certain age. When we're old enough to know that, for example, technology, you used to have a TV at home and it was a nine-inch black and white TV. 
you had one telephone that was hanging on the wall in the kitchen with a super long cord. Everybody had to use that one phone. When you walked out of the house, no one had access to you throughout the day till you got home. Well, now today, we have basically computers in our pockets we call cell phones. But if you think about the accumulated sum of world knowledge that now doubles every four months because of quantum computing, we really don't know where this is heading because it's gone beyond the uh, the control of human beings. So a lot of that, that a lot of things I just said are, are theoretical, uh, but they are being put into practice at an alarming rate, and we don't know the outcomes. And the reason I just brought it up is because, like you said, it's become more mainstream. When we were talking about this a couple of years ago, it sounded pretty wild, even on uh, Jan Markell's Understanding the Times, talking about how they're going to be able to use uh, holograms and things like that for people to worship, et cetera, et cetera. And in the headlines last week, I believe it was um, millions of robots are going to be built by China. In the year 2025, I think it was in the millions yeah, that they they're talking about. Their plan is to have... Uh, they called them humanoid robots. And they are humanoid robots. I've seen pictures of them. I've seen the, the technology that they've already you know, employed within them. And when you put in the, the computing power and that ability within humanoid robots, you've got a... Potentially, you've got a whole other generation of like super warriors. So, again, it's basically some of these... You know, Terminator-type movies that you've seen mm -hmm. back in the 80s and 90s, these things are coming to life, much like Star Trek would have been in the 60s and 70s. That eventually came to life. When these things can be conceived of in the human mind, they will be created in reality at some point. It may take a generation or two. I want to give you one example now. So Elon Musk, of course, he's been very instrumental in a lot of things, but one of them is artificial intelligence. Uh, and he runs in all these circles with Jeffrey Hinton, you know, Sam Altman and Chat GPT folks and all them. And he started his own AI company now, and it's, it's still in a um, kind of a restricted stage, but it's XAI, and it's got a fun mode. So just for fun, I put in, I put in kind of a sarcastic joke, and I asked it to explain what this means, and I said, Fox News is an oxymoron. And in a split second, it came back and it said, the word is separated. Oxy from moron was separated. He said the space, he, the, the artificial intelligence defined what was in the space there. So moronic meant that Fox News is, a lot of it is fake now. So it said what you're saying is a lot of Fox News is fake, but it has an opioid effect like oxycotton. And it keeps people plugged in, even though much of it is fake, even though much of it is propagating people's belief systems. It's shaping opinion. It's not informing people's opinion. And I read that, and I got a chill, because it understood sarcasm. And that in the past, that's been a uniquely human trait. Think that one through. It, it read exactly what I was thinking, Fox News is a oxy space mm -hmm. oxymoron, and it got it. I, I don't know what else to say about that. I mean, if people think that through, that that is profound. That that's scary. <laughs> I was scared that, a month ago 
when Katie, my wife, lost her phone. Mm-hmm. She left it on the car, and she said, I have no idea where I dropped it. And I got on, yeah, and I did some research, and mm-hmm. I said, I think we can find your phone. And I clicked on this app, and it pointed exactly yeah. to it next to a stop sign mm-hmm. right down the road. Yeah. Right next to the stop sign. I said, it's right there. Yeah. Right next to that stop sign. And she got out of the car, and she goes, it's exactly where the app said it was. Yeah. Part of that the, freaked me out. Part of the location it, device. It used to, you said, you're somewhere on Shearing Road, I think. But now I know exactly, you're standing next to a stop sign on Shearing yeah, Road. Yeah, within a couple inches. Can I, I, I don't mean to be a topper crash, but, Go but, ahead. but I can top that one just from last. I'm just talking about my experience. That freaked I me am, out. Yeah, I'm going to as well. Uh, just from last week, one of our pastors at the church was deer hunting in far northern Wisconsin. And I, I happen to know that he's listening right now, too, so shout out. You know who you are. He lost his phone in a swamp when he was tracking a buck that he had shot. He gets back to the cabin, and he's like, oh, man, i got to get a new phone, and he's mm-hmm. all worried. One of the guys he's with says, well, just go online to this website here, look on your location location device. His phone was on on mute. He could turn it off of mute and put the volume back up, it pointed him to the spot, to the swamp where it was. He stayed online, sent his friend out there to go to that spot, called his phone from his friend's phone. It starts to ring. He found the phone in a swamp in northern Wisconsin within a foot. Same thing you're just talking about. It was within a foot? Yeah. Well, this one was right next to the stop But sign. I mean, a swamp <laughs> in the, you know. Right. Well, what are the implications of all that? Well, you can get all. Yeah, up, get all. That, I'm going. That, if uh, if they know this, then they must know that, and they know this. And uh, you can check out uh, Kevin Minsky, M I N S K E, on StandUpWithTheTruth.com. He he really got into it uh, in in great detail a couple of years ago about uh, uh, the mark of the beast, and I didn't want to get into that because we only got about. Uh, Ten minutes, and we do need to talk about what's going on in Israel because now when I'm sharing my faith, that is becoming a topic. So, are you for Israel? You call yourself a Christian. Are you for Israel? And I went absolutely. They're going. You can't have it both ways. You can't be a Christian and be for Israel. And I went, man. They there is some bad information getting out there. Yeah, uh, obviously there are biblical implications when it comes to Israel. However. Most mainline denominations teach something called replacement theology, which means God has rejected Israel because they rejected her Messiah, and now the church has replaced Israel. We don't believe and teach that. There are a lot of promises in the Old Testament that have never been fulfilled. I I spoke earlier about the Davidic covenant, and this was even reiterated by Gabriel the angel to Mary, Jesus' mother, said that her son would sit on the throne of his father David. When has that happened? It's never happened. So if you take it literally, we know it's futuristic. In the Old Testament, God said he has set his throne in Jerusalem forever. Okay, that forever means forever. God says what he means and means what he says. He says Israel's the apple of his eye. We have the land covenant that was given uh, to Abraham. And that goes, frankly, not in the current boundaries of Israel that we know it as, it goes from the Euphrates River to the Mediterranean Sea, and that's listed in a number of places in the Old Testament. The point there is Israel has never occupied that full allotted space of land yet. 
which means by implication it has to be futuristic. Or, well, I guess, or God's a liar. You take your pick there. So we know that Israel's going to be reinstituted as his witnesses to the world in the tribulation. After the tribulation and the millennium, they are going to rule and reign with Christ, as is the church, that we go on into eternity. But Israel is very relevant. If you think about it as a nation, they're miraculous even in, in a worldly sense. They were destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Roman uh, General Titus, and they were had no access to Jerusalem. You think about this now, for almost 2,000 years, until May 14, 1948, and they went back into their land. That cannot be said of any other people group. can't be said of the Samar- Samarians, of the Hittites, um, Amorites, any other ancient people group other than Israel. And that's because of God's hand upon them. God's regathered them in the land, but they're regathered in unbelief today. So the point behind all that is Israel matters, okay? And those that mess with Israel are poking their finger basically in God's eye. He said in the Old Testament, those who bless you, I will bless. And up until now, the United States has backed and been a supporter of Israel, and that's one of the reasons I think we have escaped a harsher judgment for God for things like abortion and other ungodliness. But the more we will turn away from Israel, the more we're going to suffer that judgment. So now, obviously, Israel's been through their series of war. Uh, They declared independence in 1948. They were immediately attacked the next day by all of their Arab neighbors. You had the 1957 Sinai War, the 1967 Six-Day War. You had the Yom Kippur War. Uh, So they've gone through a series of wars. Then you had the Intifadas in the late 1990s and early 2000s. But this attack on October 7th, in the nature of it, and just the way things were conducted and carried out, it was really demonic in its core. Uh, The kind of, I don't even want to say violence, the kind of evil that was done to everyday citizens, babies, women, um, it goes beyond hatred. It's demonic. Okay, So this is a demonic type of a thing happening over there right now. There are a lot of dynamics. We talk about it every week at church on our Wednesday night Bible study. Um, I would just say this, though. We're, we're in a precarious position because now Iran is really at the heart of all of the enemies of Israel in that whole neighborhood. They are all bent on the total annihilation of Israel, including some of our own members of the House of Representatives. Uh, but because we have troops, we have about 3,500 troops there in the region anyway. Um, still there from the Iraq War. They've been attacked now. Our own U.S. troops have been attacked at least 48 times since October 17th. Okay? That's a lot. Uh, the assaults, they've been evenly split, really, about between the two countries there. 24 attacks were in Iraq, 24 were in Syria. They involved explosive drones, rockets, and 56 of our troops have been injured. Okay? No one's died, thankfully, yet. Many Israelis have died. Many Palestinians have died. Yes, no U.S. troops as of yet. But we need to be very careful uh, because now we have two two U.S. carriers in the region. We've got destroyers. The the Hutu rebels in Yemen who've been supplied by Iran with missiles have been firing missiles there, and the U.S. Navy has destroyed 15 drones just in the last two weeks that have been sent over them. At what point 
do they finally, does one of them get through? Remember the old adage, you know, the enemy only has to get right once. We have to be right every time to shoot down every missile, every drone. What happens on the day when one of them gets through and hits a ship, um, or God forbid a harpoon missile goes through the carrier Eisenhower, sailors are dead, then we have to respond. We're talking about major escalations. So this thing is far from over. You've got the whole issue of Gaza City now, and Israeli troops have literally gone into the Gaza Strip, and they've been having great success there, but um, there's just a lot to come yet. I've been hearing some, uh, uh, seeing some posts on different social medias that they're trying, uh, Hamas is asking for a ceasefire. I I don't know, uh, I don't give it much weight, because there's all kinds of twists and all... Even uh, over the, I think over the weekend, there were some uh, air quotes terrorist attacks on American soil. Uh, and when we say that, it's like uh, some deaths from uh, at, at these protests. Yeah. Well, then there again, you've you've got pro-Palestinian protesters on university campuses uh, in the street, the House, too. in the streets in New York, in front of the White House. Part of that has to do with the with the squad, you know, Talib and AOC and mm-hmm. and. Uh, Omar Ilian and those in Congress that come from that same background, but um, you got to make no mistake here. It's the to me the current administration really is no friend of Israel. They just understand which way the winds blow, and most people in the country do support Israel, and therefore they're still you know issuing tacit support. But Blinken is already Anthony Blinken is already calling for ceasefire but they were calling for ceasefire the day after the October 7th attack there hadn't even been a retaliatory move by Israel yet it's disingenuous right they've had these ceasefire quote unquote before what does that do it gives Hamas time to rearm and regather themselves Netanyahu said that that's a no go he's not going to do that he said he'll help evacuate children people from these hospitals that Hamas is frankly using yeah, human shield for their bases anyway, but Israel will help get those civilians out, and that's as far as they're going to go because they're tired of the games. Everybody's just tired of it. It's been going on for decades. People are sick of it. Those demonic attacks on October 7th are unconscionable. It's, it's pre-civilization, the things they did. It's like the Hutus and the Tutsis in Africa. That, it's the closest you can come to with the kind of carnage that was committed there. And, what, and that if you're going to say that, and I know we're getting close on our time, uh, it, you do the same thing with Ukraine then. Oh, what about the ceasefire there? I mean, you've got 600 to 700,000 Ukrainian and Russians who've died now in this Ukraine war. You don't hear any of that coming from the administration here as far as ceasefire and let's stop and talk this out kind of a thing. So double standard. Seems like just all of these proxy wars going on. And about Israel, um, they are an apostate state right now. They are. Uh, most Israelis are atheistic in their beliefs. They're humanistic. Uh, but there is going to be an outpouring by God, Zechariah tells us, that it's going to take the tribulation, but that's one of the purposes of the tribulation. He's going to pour out a spirit of grace and supplication on them, and they will mourn for Jesus as they'll mourn for an only son. They will cry out to him. That's in Zechariah, and in fact, it's a prerequisite of Jesus' second coming that Israel calls out to him for salvation, and he will respond and come back and defeat his enemies. 
So you got to keep that in mind when you're this because you're going to be hearing a lot more about this replacement theology. I, I believe they're going to start saying this is what Christians should believe because of this, and so we want to make sure that you're always up to date. Now, uh, you kind of talk about this at church on Wednesdays most of the time uh, with the holiday season coming up, maybe not as much at ChristTheRockChurch.org, ChristTheRockChurch.org. And it's located on on Main Avenue in De Pere, if you're in the uh, nearby area. Pastor Kevin, thanks for coming in, making time with us. Thank you, man. And remember, we're going to have a video version of this that you can share with those that like to watch videos on our YouTube channel, Q90FM Radio on YouTube, I think. Got to go through the content, make sure it's YouTube friendly. Otherwise, it'll be on CTRN online ctrn online on rumble of course the podcast will be up here in about 30 minutes at santaforthetruth.com and you can also check out the upcoming guest on the upcoming tab on our blog and also uh, subscribe to our weekly newsletter for the digest make it a blessed monday fresh new podcast tomorrow